So we've been on a series called Tools of the Trade. The old has gone, the new has come. Let's do a little review. How do we make the connections for transformation? If we're experiencing disconnect in what we say we believe and what we say we think is the right way to live, but we're not making that connection outside in our everyday life, what, how do we make those connections? What are the tools? So I'm using the tool metaphor to talk about some Christian practices or disciplines or habits. The tool isn't the fruit or the end product. It does not perform the transformation. God himself, the Holy Spirit, performs the transformation. But the tool is the practice or discipline that makes space for God to work within us and for spiritual fruit to grow. So here are the things we've talked about so far. Engaging in transforming community. Confession. Engaging with scripture. Engaging in prayer. Pastor Craig focused on words, aligning our words with God's word. Last week we talked about detachment and generosity. So we're going to complete this series by exploring the tool of worship. And so I want to start with saying two important statements about that phrase. First, I said we will complete this series. That does not mean that we have covered all the tools, all right? (laughs) Uh, Just that we are starting a different series after this. But I encourage all of us, if we can truly access just the tools we've discussed and get better with them and better skilled with them and using them more regularly, that is going to make a big difference. If we'll practice them consistently, we will grow and mature and be transformed. You will likely discover new tools to add to your Christian practice as time goes along. So completing the series does not mean the end. So I just want you to have, I hope that this series has convinced you to have a more less rules-oriented attitude about Christian practices and disciplines and more of uh, these are tools that are available to me that help me grow and be transformed in my relationship with Jesus. And it's not so much of a check the list off as it is what tool is needed for me at this time to stay connected with Jesus. And the tools might shift from time to time as to what's really making a difference in your life. But having something in your toolbox is important. So having these tools. All right. And then secondly, I said we're going to explore the tool of worship. So... I want to say that in this case, the word tool refers to a Christian practice or discipline. However, I am not saying that worship is only a tool or that we can choose or choose not to engage in because we basically are created to worship God. And we can, however, engage in worship in deeper ways and recognizable rhythms that will affect transformation. So here are just some things I want to share with you today about worship. First, worship is the beginning and the end. 
The first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are regarding how and how we worship. Here, um, first is um, worship God only. Second is create no idols, which in the story that Bethany helped us out with, that's where Nebuchadnezzar just went way off. Third is to honor God's name and character. And then fourth is to honor the Sabbath. So the first four of the Ten Commandments are about worship. In the book of Revelation, it is recorded one of the last commands in the Bible. In Revelation 22, 9 says, worship God. (laughs) So it is from start to finish a, a part of what life in God is, is worshiping him. Jesus was asked, which commandment is greatest? And his answer was quoting Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So worship is loving God with all of our being. And let's see what Jesus said. Our emotions, our intellect, our will, and our physical bodies, our strength. All right? So that is important for us to keep in mind. It's all of us. All of us, yes, but all of you engaging in a practice of worship. Secondly, God designed the pattern for worship. In a course on the theology of worship, Russ Michaels uh, compares the tabernacle in the Old Testament to a map. How many are map nerds? I'm a map nerd. (laughs) I I am. Um, He describes how he received a world atlas as a graduation gift and didn't fully appreciate it at the time, but over the years, it's turned out to be one of his favorite books in his library, and he studies the maps all the time, used them in preparation for travel, and I think he even wrote this before we some of the um, online tools we have available to us now, um, but that he would learn about the places just by studying the maps. So this week, I went on an outing, uh, a, a little getaway with our granddaughters, and one of the things Becca mentioned in the car while we were driving is that she had just found a recent photo or document or something with your all's address in Germany. And I was able to actually remember the name of the town, and which surprised me. But I had already written this in the um, notes. When they lived in Germany, Google Earth was kind of new. And I loved getting on Google Earth and flying to Germany. <laughs> I would just sit there and roll the earth over and then zoom into Europe and roll a little bit more, zoom into Germany, roll in a little bit more. And, and I, I really can't remember exactly how it worked, but maybe it was Edingen, right? Edingen. And um, I could zoom in. And I one time, I'm pretty sure I found their street and the little path that I used to go walking on when I was visiting them. I loved playing with that goofy map. And it was just a map. I wasn't really there. I wasn't sitting in their living room having a cup of coffee. But it felt like I was there 
because I was studying the map and, and imagining making the trip. So the tabernacle is like a map that God gave us for a pattern of worship. He gave Moses a very specific pattern, and in Hebrews 8.5, it says it was a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. So in the tabernacle, the centerpiece of worship was the sacrifice, the means of cleansing people from sin. In heaven, the centerpiece of worship is the perfect sacrifice, the lamb who was slain. Revelations 5 shows this whole picture of the lamb was the only one worthy to open the seal. And the, all the creatures and all the people, um, yeah, creatures and angels and the people are all worshiping Jesus. So our building and our sanctuary is not built according to the Old Testament tabernacle. But our worship patterns have relation to the pattern that God designed because we have Jesus as our central focus of worship. And he is, and today especially, with the enactment of communion, we are recognizing his sacrifice for us, that by him we are saved, and by the remission of sins um, because of what he did for us. So we... Follow the pattern established by God, worshiping Jesus as our central focus, coming into the most holy place to commune with the Father through the blood of Jesus. At the crucifixion, the Bible records that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Jesus' sacrifice opened the way for us to enter the most holy place. And then Hebrews also says, we can come boldly before his throne. Our worship does not require making additional sacrifices. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. However, Romans 12, 1, and I think I've got that for you here, says that we present ourselves, our own bodies, as a living sacrifice. And this is our spiritual act of worship. And the NIV says this is the way to truly worship him. So we're not making sacrifices of bulls and rams. Jesus has made the sacrifice, but now we, live, we are living sacrifices, and we bring ourselves fully to him in worship. So we see that this integrates the spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and physical. We choose to make our bodies a living sacrifice. And I just want to encourage us. We are whole beings. We are whole beings, not compartmentalized. And I know that in our, this day we live in, sometimes compartmentalizing feels like the only way to uh, function, (laughs) Well, I just have to compartmentalize that for now, and then I'll get over to this, and I'll get over to this. I want to encourage you. Your life in God needs to be integrated because he is in all of it, and our worship and attitude towards him needs to be present in all of it. 
So we're not compartmentalized. We are integrated wholes, and we worship him with all our mind, all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. All right. So that's where transformation takes place, is when we allow our whole selves into worship. So Psalms gives an additional window into the pattern. In Psalm 100, we read, uh, Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So I compartmentalized my notes. I stuck the scriptures in a different place. Sorry, I'm turning around to read them. But enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So a worshiper would enter the tabernacle through a gate. It was an elaborate curtain of blue, purple, scarlet fabric, and the entrance to the worship experience. From there, the worship would progress into the courts where the bronze altar and bronze laver were located. The outer court was where the worship experience would proceed with ceremonial washings and sacrifices. So I want you to understand this is a part of the pattern God created. Thanksgiving is a vital entryway into worship. It is the gateway and praise is the next step. Thankfulness opens the gate to God's presence. The scripture says that he's enthroned on the praises of Israel. Other translations say he inhabits our praise. So how do we enter his gates? With thanksgiving. How do we enter his courts? With praise. All right. I want you to remember that God created this pattern and This is how we do it. We can't make up the pattern ourselves. Okay? We live in a rather individualistic culture. Has anybody else noticed that? Have anybody? I think even at 4th of July, we might hear some people say some things like, I'm thankful I can live in a country where I can worship how I want to. Has anybody heard such phrases? And we would usually say, hallelujah, amen. Kind of, sort of, people. We don't just get to worship any way we want to. There is a pattern that God established. Jesus is central to our worship. And he established a pattern of coming in with thanksgiving and praise. Now, yes, we are in a free place that we can express very different ways of thanksgiving and praise and all of that. And I'm thankful that we live in that kind of freedom. But I want us to be careful that we don't uh, interpret our national freedoms or our political freedoms into our Christian life in a way that maybe isn't biblical. We have a pattern established from the Bible, thanksgiving, is an important part. So we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, creating an attitude of gratitude. Cultivate your heart 
to be ready to worship. This was in the Bible study this last week. We talked about this. We see how the opposite leads us away from God. The attitude of complaining and groaning led the children of Israel into idol worship instead of worshiping the one true God. When they became full of doubt and disbelief and groaning and complaining and murmuring and all of that, that's when they moved into idol worship. That's when the golden calf was created. Their hearts became cold and hard to their father God, and they turned instead to false gods and evil practices incorporated into their worship of these false gods. So when we're talking about worship and about false gods and the story of the gold statue in the book of Daniel and and all of that, you know, it's not just a difference of bowing down, bowing down here or bowing down there. This, many of these false gods and these false idols and the worship that went on in the Old Testament involved extremely evil practices, including human sacrifice, including um, male and female prostitution as a part of the worship ceremony. We need to understand Thanksgiving is how we enter the courts of the true worship of God. We don't want to get off into complaining and grumbling because that moved the people towards false idols and false gods, and we must be careful. Our culture doesn't call things idols or false gods anymore, but the practices speak for themselves. So let's be careful. All right. Your attitude about worship is not just a personal choice. It doesn't just only affect you. It's not an item on the menu of life that's just for your consumptive desires. Your pattern influences the pattern of others around you. Imagine this with me. When a group of people arrive at church with hearts full of thanksgiving, mouths ready to praise, the atmosphere becomes charged. The worship team is ready to lead, but the congregation's responsibility is to be ready to engage. When you arrive at church excited about worship, it rubs off on the people around you. When you have a ready smile, a bubbly amen, a genuine openness to express your love to God, it's like holding the door open for someone also on their way to worship. Now, that may sound like I'm saying you're doing worship in order to be seen by others. So I'm not saying that. But listen, your focus is on Jesus. You're entering with thanksgiving and praise to God. You're not doing it in order to be seen. But the reality is you are being seen. Okay? Does that make sense? That's not the reason you're doing it. But you are being seen as you worship. You are being heard. And the scripture calls us together in corporate worship for good reason. 
We are encouraged by worshiping together in community. We press in further and we experience deeper levels of love for God and his people as we worship together. Okay? Now, this can be a conundrum. Those who have experienced deep, powerful corporate worship receive personal benefits from the experience. Can somebody say that I've been in a worship experience and I received personal benefits from it? Yes? How, show of hands. Yes. All right. But if we focus on that, it can turn into worshiping the experience rather than worshiping God. But we're encouraged throughout Scripture to regularly engage in worship practices. So consider how I started it. I said we were created to worship God. The chief aim of our personhood, according to the Westminster Catechism, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This purpose of worship is deep within you. And when you engage in it, it does lift. It does affect you. So it's, we're doing it to glorify God, but we're also enjoying him forever. He designed the pattern for worship, and part of it is that it not only does he receive glory when we worship him in spirit and truth, but that we receive transformation. So if you've had ever a circular thinking about this, like, well, I can't just get into it just for what's in it for me. Well, no, but guess what? You're going to be experiencing transformation. You are going to be experiencing benefits as you worship and as each of us will come in with a little bit more exuberance towards worship. It will rub off on each other and, and build and charge the air with more of a spirit of worship towards the Lord. And it's so easy to preach this with such a full crowd, but it's going to happen, people. I'm telling you, we need to be exuberant before the Lord. And I'm not telling you, you have to be somebody different than you are. So listen to this. Worship is physically expressed. It is physically expressed. So here are some scriptures that tell us how worship is expressed, and I'm going to have to read from here. First off, singing. Isaiah 12, 5. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praises around the world. Now, you may say, I'm not a singer, but worship involves singing, and it's okay, even if you don't think you can sing on key. When we're here together and worshiping, sing out. Sing out. It's awesome. It's music to the ears of God. Lifting hands. This is a physical act that the scripture talks about as a part of our worship. 1 Timothy 2.8. In every place of worship, I want men, people, to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. There, you know, it within... Life, the lifting of hands means so many things. It can mean surrender. 
it can mean um, like when it can in a concert like excitement. When we lift our hands, it is a part of offering ourselves up to the Lord. And this is a physical type of worship that I want to encourage you that it's a part of worshiping God. Clapping. Psalm 47.1. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Come, everyone, clap your hands. Clap your hands. I really loved it when you had a spontaneous just applause at the end of um, the song Rachel shared with us um, while we were worshiping with offering. And that spontaneous clapping unto the Lord is is a part of worship. It is a worshipful thing when we're together and clap to the Lord. you know, sometimes there's jokes about trying to clap with the worship, whether you're on rhythm or not, whatever. But but the applause kind of clapping. And I experienced once a, a, a supernatural time in a congregation where the Spirit of God, it was just, this verse was read, clap your hands unto the Lord. And it was just this. And I believe the congregation literally clapped their hands 45 minutes to an hour. It was, it would be like a wave of the spirit of God. Now that's only happened to me once in my life, but I still remember it. I still remember that sense of that. Whenever you feel affirmations to the Lord, that's a part of this, but clapping is one of the physical part of worship. Okay. You guys, I I haven't had anybody shout me down in here, but shouting is in the Bible as worship. Can you believe it? Psalm 95, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. So even shouting is in the Bible as a part of worship. Can you imagine Not shouting angry, shouting joyful, joyful shouts unto the Lord. And I'm waiting on this one, but this is in the Bible. Dancing. Can you believe it? Dancing unto the Lord. Dancing unto the Lord. All right. So Psalm 149 says, praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. You know, one of the things that the Psalms do for us is we see a uh, establishment of new ways of worship. Some of the things had come all the way from Moses. We read in Exodus, when they got on the other side of the Red Sea, Miriam had tambourines and they danced before the Lord and worshiped him. But then David and the other psalmists took it to a new level. And so these, and the Psalms are the hymn book that Jesus used, all right? So these things that the scripture are telling us are parts of worship. Just imagine Jesus and his disciples singing and dancing and clapping and shouting praises unto God. This is a part of what the scriptural pattern of worship has been given to us. So, 
We're winding down, folks. What if none of these physical expressions feel comfortable to you? Okay, everybody awake? What if your response is, that's just not my personality? I am more stoic or introverted or shy. I'm not very emotional or expressive or excitable. I don't want to feel inauthentic in my worship. All right? I want to address that because I don't want anybody to feel inauthentic in their worship. So I have a couple of questions. Is there no time in your routine that you are expressive? For example, do you get excited about sports? Or shopping? Or politics? Or reality TV? Is there anything that kind of gets you going? If, in fact, there are times when you are quite expressive, that can indicate that you have that within your personality. So the concern about being inauthentic can be put to rest. Okay? And then, are you willing to worship God according to the pattern that he established? If the scripture encourages singing, lifting hands, clapping, shouting, and dancing, would you be open to participating? We're not going to just manufacture it. I'm not saying that. But would you be open? I understand that culture, history, and tradition affect our expressions. And in some readings that I've been doing recently, there's been an encouragement. And especially if you're traveling this summer, um, sometimes experiencing another worship style from what you're accustomed to can be eye-opening and, and heart-opening and, and, and seeing how others express their worship. Um, Susan was sharing with me that she was in a service last Sunday, and actually what was so cool about it was things that made her think of here. But it was in another place, led by totally different people. But, but she felt that connection. There's something very uh, affirming, knowing that we are connected with our brothers and sisters around the world in worship. Yes, culture, your own history, your own tradition, traditions you grew up with, those are going to affect your expressions, your expressiveness. But let's be open and not dismiss out of hand some of the ways that Scripture encourages us to worship. Now, why is this a tool? The whole idea is that this is about transformation, that and worship 
having a lifestyle of worship, both through your week and in corporate worship, is a tool for transformation. When you are worshiping God, it is opening your heart up for transformation. We, on this getaway, had some time out in nature, and it was very peaceful and very nurturing to just soak in that peace. And I can experience the presence of God in that kind of a setting. But I've also experienced God with a crowd of people, with exuberance and music and participation. I want you to think about that reality of holding the door open. We sang that song, Open Wide the Gates. We that are here, our level of engagement and um, readiness when we get here and um, openness to enter into worship helps open the door for others to feel welcomed entering into worship. All right? So I'm going to keep encouraging that. I'm going to keep encouraging us to uh, be expressive and be open to being expressive. I'm going to seek the Lord as to whether there's one more point on this, and we might spend some time on it next Sunday. We'll see. But it is this, and that is one of the spiritual disciplines connected to worship is celebration. And I think that we could be mentored and grow in our own practice of celebration. So we may spend a little extra time on that. We'll see. I think it will flow nicely into our next series, Summer Breeze, Life in the Holy Spirit. So we'll see if they, if next week's like a little overlap or how that's going to work. I'm just trusting God to guide me in that. How many will say with me, Pastor Brenda, I want to be a worshiper according to God's pattern. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness in our life. I thank you that we are privileged to be called your people and that we can come with an attitude of gratitude. We can enter with thanksgiving and praise on our lips. You are worthy to be praised. You are holy, God. And you have given us this amazing opportunity to worship you, give you glory, and yet we receive benefit from it. Thank you, Father, for creating this kind of life for us. I pray for everybody here that this week would be a celebratory week, a week of expressiveness, a week of shouting praise to God, and maybe even dancing in the kitchen when you speak your word to us. I pray that we would be open to express our worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.